Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Hi, global investors. Before we get started with today's episode, are you looking to finance your U.S. real estate investment as a foreign investor? Contact UniversalCommercialCapital.com. They do not require any credit history, employment, income verification, or permanent residency status. All you need to have is the minimum 35% down payment in a U.S. banking institution for two months. Rates start at 6% with a 30-year term. The whole approval process can be completed in 30 days. Call 888 888- 334-9039 or email them at info at universalcommercialcapital.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today we have Aaron Fragnito. Aaron is a co-founder of People's Capital Group, host of New Jersey Real Estate Network, a licensed New Jersey realtor, and a full-time real estate investor. Aaron has completed over 250 real estate transactions totaling more than 35 million and has a real estate portfolio of over 10 million. His company works with qualified investors to create passive returns through local commercial real estate. So thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Charles. Glad to be here. Um, so I touched on your, uh, your background a little bit, but can you uh, dive more into what you were be doing before uh, prior to becoming a realtor and full-time real estate investor? Sure. Well, I majored from uh, Rowan University with an entrepreneurship major, which is a pretty open-ended major. I had a landscaping business, a small painting business before that, but I really didn't know know what I wanted to do with my life, uh, like many uh, college graduates. And um, so I went out to Colorado uh, Springs to actually teach skiing um, for uh, Steamboat Springs, actually, in Colorado. For about six months, I was a ski instructor. And through that, I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? You've heard of that book, right? And of course, uh, changed my life, my friend, changed my life. As many uh, story I'm sure you hear on your podcast, you know, I, I read that. Actually, I read it around senior year of college. And then I started reading, uh, you know, Donald Trump University books and uh, David Lendall and all that stuff. And it made it look so easy to start a real estate investment company. And all you had to do was go put up a letter of intent and raise a little money. You're going to buy an apartment building. So I said, well, I don't have any money or experience. So I need to start as a realtor to kind of learn the market and make some money and Work, work my way up from there, you know? So, um, so I went back to Jersey, I got my real estate license and uh, I luckily was able to you know, live at home with my parents at the age of 23, 24, kind of getting started. And that allowed me to get started as an agent because I made about $500 my first six months. And I remember my first uh, commission check I made was actually $5,000 and I mm-hmm. worked my butt off for it. As you know, your first time you get paid in the industry is the hardest time you get paid. And my broker gave me $500 and said, read the fine print. Um, so I then learned to read the fine print and, uh, at that point, switched brokerages, uh, built up a team over time, started flipping houses and met Seth Martinez, my business partner to this day. And, uh, we got started buying uh, income properties, multifamilies. Nice. What was the main factors that led you to choose real estate as your investment vehicle? Well, I, you know, I really wanted to build wealth. I really wanted uh, to, uh, be able to. Uh, have a passive income and not have to, you know, my options when I graduated college was 2009. I remember going to a job fair at the college and Enterprise Rent-A-Car said uh, that it could start me at $32,000 a year. And by the time I was 65, I could make enough to retire if I put enough away in my IRA. 
and I, I just it didn't appeal to me. And I knew I could do just a little better than that. And my college advisor said, take the job. It's the best thing you got. It's 2009. You know, I said, no way. I have a passion for real estate. I'm going to figure out how to make this work. Um, and, you know, it was, it was very difficult. But I always, and I still do to this day, have a real passion to own real estate. I see beautiful buildings and, you know, some are outside of my league and others are right up, you know, my alley. I'm buying real estate now that I've driven past as a kid and a teenager and, you know, and I, because I, I buy real estate locally, kind of where I grew up as well. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool to buy a big, you know, uh, 10,000 square foot building or something that you drove by as a 17 year old and having no idea how that all works. And now I'm actually the guy buying those large commercial pieces of real estate in town. And um, so I always had a passion for that. And I'm glad I was able to not take the enterprise rent a car job and, and I follow my dreams. Can you briefly uh, explain a little bit about apartment syndication to our listeners? Sure. So uh, apartment syndication is basically when you pool together capital from a handful of uh, individuals. It, it could be one person or it could be up to generally uh, 35 or so. Uh, but uh, it's basically you're pooling capital together and those investors are silent investors. They're non-voting members of the LLC. And um, that means they don't have a voting right. So therefore you're selling them a security and the SEC is notified when you uh, pull together capital in that way. And uh, it's not too complicated if you have the right SEC attorney, but essentially pulling together capital and buying a building. Nice. And what markets in Jersey are you guys focused on now? Are they, if, you know, explain a little bit about them, if they're C or they're B, what type of properties you guys are kind of focused on purchasing? Sure. We look for six to 25 unit apartment buildings that are C's or B's, you know, we try to make a C into a B or, you know, uh, that's really our sweet spot. We try to mm -hmm. find a C plus and make it a B, you know, and uh, that's a nice place to be in the market. We got started with D's. We, we got started with, you know, tough real estate in tough areas. And, uh, you know, one of the first multifamilies uh, we bought was on Gunset Ave. It's called Sunset Ave. We figured out after we bought it, it was actually Gunset Ave. And there would be like murders in front of our property, you know, just tough, uh, tough blocks. So, uh, you know, getting started, we realized that if something looks really great on paper, it may be too good to be true, you know, and location, location, location is important. Um, and in the last few years, really improved our holdings. Um, but I'm not the guy who buys the fancy stuff either. I do not buy class A real estate. That's hard to cash flow on and also gets hit pretty hard in recessions. So I'm right in the middle of the road. You know? Yeah, for sure. Like I, I know that from my first couple of real estate investments, uh, it was probably like my third one I purchased. And that was it was like a C minus kind of, I guess you would say property. And it was just, I mean, what a, what a nightmare to get it, to get it going. It's, it's nothing. It's just the difference between a C minus and a C plus makes all the difference between oh, yeah. tenants, between everything, your turnover, everything. Well, there's but, certain areas you're just not going to get a quality tenant, you know, and it's right. uh, cause you're just not going to want to live there. It's too dangerous yeah. an area. So you know, one of the tests I <laughs> make is like, am I comfortable there? You know, driving yeah. by, going to the property, going after hours, you know, am I comfortable walking down the street? You know, mm -hmm. and if the answer is no, then, you know, it, maybe it's where you start with real estate investing, but it's not where I found a lot of the wealth was created. You, yeah. you really want desirable real estate that grows in value over time um, and is more recession resistant. Yeah, they're not going to appreciate and they're going to be a management nightmare. nightmare. And and you, the, the property manager you're using for a D is not going to be your C plus and above property manager. That guy's, that guy's going out to Gunset Avenue with a gun. Um, it's wild. Yeah. And the management is so intensive for that, you know, yeah. and it's so degrading. Oh my gosh. Getting yelled at by 
people, you know, who have their entire rent paid. Uh, it's just uh, by the government. It's, it's great. I love it. <laughs> so what is your normal course of action or business plan when you purchase a property? Are you guys, um, you're doing value add to it? Are you refining it or do you like to sell them or? So yeah, we refinance the buildings generally. Um, you know, that's really our, the best strategy, tax strategy at the end of the day, mm -hmm. we feel. Uh, we also buy in an area here, North Jersey, where we can really uh, establish a nice amount of wealth growth, equity growth over time. We buy mm -hmm. in desirable areas with a lot of people living in a small area. That's North Jersey for you. We're all running into Manhattan every morning and coming back to our apartments every night. So, you know, I buy near train stations that get you into Manhattan in less than an hour. Uh, I don't do Manhattan. I buy outside of Manhattan on the Jersey side. And we know these markets really, really well. We've been doing it for about 10 years now. So we know which areas to uh, avoid and which areas are really up and coming and have great opportunities. Um, so you have to know your markets well. But, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's important to stay local like that also. And, um, and uh, <laughs> we focus on, you know, I have sold buildings. We just sold a yeah. 25 unit about a year ago made a nice profit on it but mm. you know when you sell a building if you don't do a 1031 tax deferral yeah. you know then you're just going to get nailed on taxes and that's not a good strategy um you know unless you have like something amazing you know the next facebook you're going to put right. that money into then fine sell and go but if you don't have the next facebook and you're doing well on your buildings and generally six units or larger we cash flow nicely on mm -hmm. good times and bad and uh, then, you know, it's, real estate's a great place to park your capital long-term. Um, right. You know, as long as it's managed well, we have the management company in-house, which is very, very important to our model. Um, then you're just going to keep on cash flowing with it. And if you continue to raise that cash flow and lower your expenses over time, you're the building just continues to grow in value. And mm -hmm. then every four to five years, we refinance, you know, we uh, pull out some equity, we harvest some equity, we pocket a bunch of cash along with our investors and, that money is tax-free money because you're not exiting the investment. Okay, so you know when we we have a seven unit right now we are looking at right, and we were like, okay, we can sell the building. You know, we got a share of sale auction for about 175,000. Okay, it needs another 50,000. Okay, and it's worth about uh, 450,000 or actually as is, it's worth like maybe, uh, about three. And then if we renovate it, it'd be worth like about five. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, well we can put, you know, another 50 into it. We're in for 225, let's say 250 after costs, you know, and then you go ahead and the bank appraises it at 500,000 and the bank says, okay, you can pull out 300,000 of that, of that 500. Uh, at a very low interest rate, right? A phenomenal low interest rate. And um, say, so, okay, so we would get the 300,000, we get back the 250 we put into the building to buy it and renovate it. And we pocket another $50,000 on top of that in tax-free money. And then, you know, we have 200 grand of equity, so we could always sell the thing if we really want to harvest that equity, but we make a, about $100 a door and we have, you know, management company, it's a management fee. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm making a few hundred dollars of month on it and get some tax benefits from it. Um, I got $50,000 back on top of all the money I invested and I kept every dollar of that 50,000, right? Yeah. Where normally if I made $50,000, let's say I flipped the property, I made 50 grand. I have to give about 15 of that to the IRS. So I'm really making about 35, you know, so mm -hmm. if you flip a property to make 50 grand, you got to make like 70 grand because you get yeah. taxed so heavily on flip profits. So, you know, I've flipped over 50 homes in my career and that's great. That's grand. You put on HGTV and they tell you to go flip houses and make it look so easy. But the hardest dollar in real estate is flipping houses. 
you know, fixing some old broken home and making it a beautiful thing that's going to pass an FHA home inspection. Come on, that's a hard job, yeah. you know, and, and there's not a lot of money in it because, you know, if one of them loses in the year and you do 10 of them, that one loss could wipe out three or four wins. Yeah. So, that, you know, and better off getting a job in an enterprise rental car. <laughs> yeah, it's funny with uh, what you're saying about doing the refinancing because that's a a business model uh, that m not many syndicators do. And I, I feel it's so great because when you're selling it, yeah, you have the capital gains, but you also have any type of that de depreciation that was written off. Now it comes and gets recaptured. So oh, it's all, yeah. yeah. So especially where you are in high tax, uh, the Northeast, um, you're getting depreciation on that off, you know, comes off and now they have to pay it back off as well. You know what I mean? They got to pay that back and they have to pay their capital gains. So it's a great model you have on doing refinancing, especially at the rates we have today. Yeah, so. exactly. And then we do a floating rate as well. So if we mm -hmm. do refinance into a higher rate, we can kind of uh, protect against that a little bit. So we yeah. actually get paid a premium if we refinance into a higher rate mm -hmm. in the future. So that's called a floating rate. So that's mm -hmm. a way to just kind of hedge your bets against interest rates going up and Again, another long-term strategy. And then the 1031 tax deferrance at the end of the road, let's say we own a building for 15 or 20 years and we've exhausted the tax appreciation and now we want to go ahead and uh, sell it and trade it to a bigger building, you know, the 1031 tax deferrance, you put that uh, money from the sale into a third party you have a certain amount of time to identify a, a similar building and mm -hmm. close on it. And, but you could trade up into an amazingly better building with the 1031 tax deferrance and defer any tax owed and now you're leveraging that money as well. So, you know, if you sold a building and you made a million dollars, you normally would owe 25% of that government, let's say. So you really are making $750,000. But if you do, you know, and then you go, if you want to go buy a piece of real estate with that, you're going to get a loan and multiply that 750 times four. So you're going to buy a piece of real estate for about $2.9 million or so, okay, with right. $750,000 down. Well, let's say you do a 1031 tax deferrance, right? And you sell that building, you get a million dollars, you defer the taxes. So now you have a million dollars in cash to go buy that next building. And if you execute properly, well, a million times four, that's a $4 million building. So you just yeah. went from buying a $2.9 million building to buying a $4 million building. And we all know that's a lot better. So it's an awesome tax strategy. Yeah, that is. That's uh, fantastic. So what are your, what are your partners and you look for when you find and assess potential properties? Well, uh, we'll look at 400 properties to buy one. Uh, there's a lot of uh, different uh, ways to value a property. Um, you know, you ha obviously have your cash on cash return, your cap rate and things like that. But really to get into the nitty gritty, you have to understand your market and be able to, it's a bit of a, be, be a bit of an artist, uh, be able to see opportunity through the clouds, you know, and, and mm -hmm. recognize opportunity where others don't. Um, actually dig into the numbers a little bit and figure out that the owner's brother is on payroll for $52,000 a year and gets a free apartment, but doesn't actually do anything because then there's a management company also getting 8%. You know. And wow, all of a sudden, wait a minute, this is a deal. There's $50,000 a year going in some idiot's pocket that doesn't do anything. This is a deal. I'm going to fire that guy. When I, you know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, recognize that opportunity. Uh, look at a building, you know, I, I people that Look at buildings and say, oh my God, it's not making any money. I bought a six family in Passaic about a year ago. I was making $37 a month of positive cash flow when I bought it. And our investor who's invested for years with us said, listen, I trust you guys. I hardly open the things you send me anymore. I just agree to it. Uh, you know, but uh, basically, are you sure about this one? It's making $37 a month. And I was like, yeah, trust us. There's a lot of value add in the rents. They're about 30% below market value. 
Um, so in just a, a year, we brought the rents up. Now the building's making nearly $3,000 a month in positive cash yeah. flow, which is a hundred times more than it was making before. Um, you know, and the building value, we bought it for 450, it appraised at 550, the, you know, the day we bought it, the time we bought it. And, um, it's probably worth 750 now after a year of owning it, yeah. you know, even say it's worth 650, fine. You know, we have 200 yeah. grand of equity and it's making money. So awesome investment. Yeah, that's awesome. It's knowing you, you knowing your market and then knowing the expenses for that market, what it really costs to, uh, what it really costs to operate that property. Cause you're finding a lot of over expenses that are, you know, usually over what we usually consider the 50% mark. They're like just very high. Um, but usually in this market or in any kind of market, when you're looking at properties and you'll find like, we were looking at a property and they were saying the management fee was 1%. And we're like, we'll go back to the broker. Well, where, <laughs> what management company is managing this thing for 1%? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's completely, yeah. so it goes both ways where you're finding just um, discrepancies in something that you can make more efficient. But mm -hmm. uh, what are some red flags that you find when looking at properties that make you take a second look or third look or just pass on it? Um, well, a lot of times the red flags are like, uh, people that over inflate numbers mm -hmm. and, you know, just send you, Oh, Oh, the cap rates 10%, you know, the, here, here's the, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's three expenses for this bill, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's amazing. You know, I didn't live in dream world. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's the red flags are all over the place. Um, you want to, you know, we deal with sellers directly a lot of times and that's always difficult because they are full of tricks and they'll say one thing and do another. And, um, you know, so having brokers involved in a transaction does, I think, help you avoid pitfalls and red flags sometimes, especially mm -hmm. on larger transactions. So, you know, we try to work with good brokers that know not to waste our time. Generally you work with some of the bigger names, you know, Marcus and Miller, Chap, mm -hmm. whatnot. You start to kind of get with brokers that are experienced and don't don't want to waste your time because they know a serious guy who's going to really buy this building is going to nail down those numbers so you might as well do it for me and they're not going to take the listing if it's a, a piece of junk deal so you know trying to work with good brokers is a good thing um and have you know but then always looking into the numbers further uh one time i bought a building and the seller sent us a bunch of bank statements and the bank statements showed uh even more rent roll coming in than we uh, thought the building was capable of. And we were like, Hey buddy, you know, this building's making more money than you told us. Uh, is that true? You know, what's up with your bank statements? What, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's a good building. You see, I told you, see. And uh, so we bought the building. We figured out it was actually like a bunch of other properties yeah. that weren't included paying into his bank account that he told us were those properties and the deposits weren't very clear. And, and so he tricked us, you know, now it was still a good investment. There's a bunch of other avenues you use to measure the income of property, but it so happened that about a quarter of the tenants weren't paying rent in the building, you know, and it wasn't the end of the world. We ended up repositioning uncooperative tenants and then the building ended up being a very profitable investment. But, um, you know, there's a perfect example of a seller that showed us falsified bank statements, basically, you know, by just claiming other income from other properties what was the income on that property. And, um, and that's a, that's something, you know, I guess now I know can be a red flag. Yeah. There's only so much due diligence you can do. So if you're getting the P&L profit and loss, you're getting rent rolls, you're getting a T12, whatever. And, and then you put that toward your bank statement and you're trying to, you know, you're, you're kind of uh, looking at them and, and looking at the information and there's not, I mean, there's only so many ways you, you would know what's going on. And, and then the other thing too, is once you take over a property as well, um, 
you know, somebody's paying late, someone's not paying late. You don't know that. You don't know how strict they are on late fees. So all this stuff has to get what gets washed out in the first six months of you owning a property and kind of figuring out what is going on to get it going, which isn't the end of the world, but it's something that can kind of slow down the whole value add process of that you're trying to do. Right, right. A lot of the uh, research we're doing isn't always on the building. <clears throat> you know, like that building in Passaic I bought for 450000 Like, so I know that I'm going to work with all the tenants there and do cash for keys. So really, whatever the building's doing right now isn't all that important. You know, you're buying mm. a good building in a good area. It's in good condition. You have an inspection of the property done. And physically, it's in good shape. And you know, you know, that there's room to improve. So whatever the owner's collecting isn't all that significant because he's a bad property owner. And that's why he's selling you the property for 25% off. And you're going to do better than him. You know, so you also have to have confidence in your system. Um, but, you know, another time I bought a property from a guy who was the town inspector. And that it was a big mistake because he ended up just finding us and finding us. One, a tenant put a TV on the corner uh, for a few days one time and he fined us $11,000 because he thought we bought the property at too cheap a price from him. And, Jeez. Uh, you know, we got a great deal on it, but he was angry after the closing. So he just nailed us on fines. And, um, you know, I learned that day that don't buy a property from the town inspector. <laughs> so with passive investors that invest for you, how are they, how are you usually compensated through a syndication? Um, say you're doing a refi on a property, you take over a property, your plan is to refi it, say in three or five years, how are they compensated on that? Sure. So our investors own a percentage of the LLC. We create a new LLC for every purchase, we create a small fund for every purchase. So if you own 10% of the LLC, you get 10% of the cash flow, 10% of the tax depreciations at the end of the year. Um, and then we uh, refinance the building. You know, we buy it cheap, we force value into it, we get better cash flow out of the building, we get our expenses down, figure out more ways to make income on the property, and then we go to refinance after about four to five years of doing that. Mm -hmm. And now the building appraises for a much higher value. So we pull out a 70% uh, loan to value amount, 70% of the property value, not too much a safe amount, but a higher amount of debt. We pay off our old debt. So there's cash left over from the cash out refinance. And then we split that up amongst the investors. So if there's uh, $500,000 left over from a cash out refinance, and you own 10% of the LLC, you get $50,000 that day at the refinance. Nice. When you're speaking to new investors, and I imagine you do this as being a real estate agent, um, as well as just working in general and networking, what advice would you give to new investors, maybe they haven't started, uh, avoid mistakes you made, of course, but um, what other things would you say? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, based on some of those stories there, you know, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, we, you know, the easiest money I made in real estate was being a listing agent as a realtor and owning income property. Okay, now the property management end of it was a tricky thing to learn and develop a property management company it took many years to really uh, perfect that craft. Um, but I have to give people, um, you know, a, a warning, do not just jump into fix and flips, right? There's so many people that go to these guru events, and they're like, yeah, go buy my $30,000 book and CD and start flipping houses. Like, that's crazy, because you're, you know, flipping houses is a construction uh, company, you're starting a construction company. Um, you're going to be a general contractor, a higher general contractor that knows a lot more than you about construction. And whatever he tells you, you're probably going to go with unless you're smarter than your general contractor and know construction better than him, which if you were, you probably wouldn't need to hire him. So, you know, it, it, getting tricked by your contractors with fix and flips is just going to happen. It's part of the business. They're going to tell you one thing and do another. 
They're going to be great for years. And one day they'll just never show up again. They'll break your heart. Um, you know, they'll promise you they could do a job for a hundred and it really costs 200 at the end of the day. And oops, that's your problem now. You know, uh, he's nowhere to be found. So, you know, all these things happen with contractors. Construction projects are precarious. They're very, so many moving pieces. You have town inspectors, you have architectural drawings, you have the townies to vote on variances and things like that, you know, so um, flipping houses is the riskiest way to make money in real estate, in my opinion. It's the most difficult, it's the most complicated, and it's the highest uh, risk by far. So um, that's why we developed our company, People's Capital Group, because buying apartment buildings isn't easy, and managing them is definitely an acquired taste, but um, over time, once you really perfect the ability to find these good deals, analyze properties properly, and recognize that value add. And then the other half is knowing the local town ordinances, knowing how rent control works, knowing how to structure these acquisitions, how to, mm -hmm. court, how to have a relationship to banks so you get really good terms on your, on your money that you're, you're getting to buy the real estate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all these things are important. Um, the management of the real estate afterwards for five, 10, 15 years, there's a strategy for each block of time and, and one more aggressive, less aggressive, less aggressive move forward over time. And um, so, you, you know, you have to be able to execute, but if you can do that um, or work with a company like ours where you can invest passively and get all those benefits, then it's really a better way to make money in real estate. Uh, you know, people always need a place to rent. Um, flipping houses, if the market drops out, good luck, you know, uh, but if you own income properties in a good area where a lot of people want to live, middle of the road real estate, not the most expensive guy in the block, not the cheapest, um, you know, people are going to want to rent your space. They're going to pay for it. Yeah. No, flipping house for sure is, is very high risk. And they always tell you when you're, you're going to the, any type of these seminars and it's 13%, you get your, you know, you get your money at 13% with three points and all this kind of stuff. And, oh, it's extremely high, but you're going to make all this money. And the biggest problem we had when we did flipping years and years back was finding the, having the crew consistently to do the work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was full-time in real estate. And even doing that, I don't know how people would even do it part-time because the project management on it, it's not like you just show up every two weeks and check on your project. It's a daily <laughs> thing. Daily. You know what I mean? Where oh, you yeah. have to be there, let people in, make sure that stuff's getting done. You have to cut checks. Somebody puts the HVAC system in at 9 a.m. They're not going to wait till, you know, they're not going to wait uh, till 7 p.m. for them to get their check. They want it when they're leaving and all this kind yeah. of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, so, well, thank you very much for being on. Uh, how can listeners learn more about you and your business? Sure. Well, our website is peoplescapitalgroup.com. That's peoples with an S, peoplescapitalgroup.com. And we have events here at the office uh, every uh, week. We have webinars as well. We actually have a meetup group called New Jersey Real Estate Network with over 3,300 members in it. And that's a New Jersey Real Estate Network um, meetup.com. Okay, awesome. Well, I'll put all those links and all that information into the podcast notes and the YouTube notes. So I want to thank you very much for being on the show today. And I look forward to speaking with you soon. Great. Thanks a lot. Have a good day, Charles. You too. Hi guys, this is Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in investing in real estate, and you don't know where to begin, set up a free 15-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit GlobalInvestorPodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. 
Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.